0: Good morning, it's 8.30 on Monday, November 28th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Amtrak trains have been given the green light to bring passenger rail service back to the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Then, a recent report reveals when it comes to lung cancer, Mississippians have a lower survival rate, are less likely to be diagnosed early, and more likely to receive no treatment. Plus, the holiday shopping season is in full gear. But what does this mean for small businesses in the state after a tough past year in sales? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Residents along the Mississippi Gulf Coast will soon be hearing the phrase or words, all aboard. That's because an agreement has been reached that will allow Amtrak to run two daily trains between Mobile, Alabama, and New Orleans, Louisiana, with four stops in Mississippi, Bay St. Louis, Gulfport, Biloxi and Pascagoula. Service to the Gulf Coast was suspended in 2005 following Hurricane Katrina. An agreement was mediated and finalized between Amtrak, CXX, Norfolk Southern and the Alabama Port Authority. Mississippi Southern Rail Commissioner Knox Ross says he can't discuss the details of the agreement but tells us this move will be an economic boost for the region
1: about the details of it but we really can't that's all confidential right now between the parties but but we are understandably delighted that that uh, all the parties worked really hard to make this work for everybody uh and and we're going to have really good service uh very soon we just we we can't say exactly when but this this opens the, the gate to do that uh between mobile and new orleans twice a day and really creates a great connectivity of the Mississippi Gulf Coast to New Orleans and Mobile and vice versa.
0: I understand there will be stops in Bay St. Louis, Gulfport, Biloxi. Uh, I missed one. There- Pascagoula. Yes, yes. Are that's th- right. Were those formally there? Because I understand Hurricane Katrina severed some of the rail tracks, and that's why service initially stopped.
1: Right, right. What you had prior to Katrina was the Sunset Limited that ran from uh Los Angeles to Jacksonville and after Katrina, three days a week. And after Katrina that service stopped and was not ever reinstated after after the tracks were rebuilt after Hurricane Katrina. So the stops in Mississippi are the are the stops that were there uh for the Sunset Limited.
0: And there's a lot of history here. This involves CSX, Norfolk Southern, Alabama Port Authority. All had to come together to make this work. What were the challenges that you can share?
1: Well, I, you know, I really can't talk a lot about all of that, other than to say that all the parties uh, were able to come together and uh, and and make this work for everybody, and and we're very grateful. For the work uh, that everybody did to make this work for all parties—not only the passenger uh, traveling public, but also the uh, industrial concerns on the coast, uh, the the railroads on the coast—to make sure that this works for everybody, that at the end of the day we have a better product that that helps our communities on the coast, but also spurs economic development on the coast.
0: I understand that there were some issue about concerns about supply chain delays on the tracks if there was passenger service there might be delays that would cause a problem for the freight lines.
1: Uh right, people have brought that up and 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 I believe that all of those have been addressed uh, or will be. You know, I, I wish I could I wish I could say more, but I, I think that that everybody worked really hard to address everyone's concerns.
0: And in this agreement, it went to the Surface Transportation Board. What is the Surface Surface Transportation Board?
1: It's a federal board. The members of it are appointed by the president, and they hear disputes among surface transportation providers. So, uh, for example, you know, this was a dispute between Amtrak and the Freights, and they heard it and they've overseen the the resolution of it. Others would be where two railroads have a problem. One of the big issues before the service transportation board right now that affects Mississippi is the merger of Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern, which uh, we've been working with them uh, on projects that we're working on, which is the uh, institutional service between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, Louisiana, and then also passenger service on the I-20 corridor uh, from Meridian to Dallas-Fort Worth. And they've been very helpful to us, in, in trying to move those move those projects forward.
0: What's the issue between the two freight lines that you mentioned?
1: The so Canadian Pacific is acquiring, uh, buying Kansas City Southern, and in, in, in issues of that magnitude, where you have two large railroads combining, the Surface Transportation Board is tasked with not only approving. That merger, but also under what conditions and what what they have to do to, to make it work.
0: Do they seek input from the commissioners in Very Mississippi?
1: Much so. We were able to testify before the Service Transportation Board directly with regard to uh, the uh, the merger and, uh, and our support for it because of the cooperative nature of uh, our relationship with Canadian Pacific and trying to put on, you know, other passenger uh, opportunities.
0: So this would include more passenger service?
1: Yes, yes. I mean, one of the things we're working on, and we recently had a meeting uh, in Monroe, Louisiana, a couple of weeks ago that was attended by Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. Our Senator, Cindy Hyde-Smith from Mississippi, was there personally, and Senator Wicker uh, addressed the group via Zoom that we would extend the existing Crescent service that runs from New York to New Orleans via Meridian. And that train would split in Meridian and a portion of it would go across central Mississippi, North Louisiana, and on to Dallas-Fort Worth. And so it would give, like in Jackson or Meridian or Vicksburg, uh, direct access to North Louisiana and Dallas-Fort Worth. It would connect up our universities. Uh, you know, say in Jackson, you got Jackson State, you have, Bellhaven, Millsaps. It would allow students from Texas, Louisiana, to, to uh, have a direct route to ride the train here. Uh, it would allow you to change trains in Jackson uh, to from the city of New Orleans that runs north and south from Chicago to New Orleans to the east-west run. It would be a big deal for Jackson.
0: Is there anything that I didn't ask you that's important about looking at passenger service for Mississippi and this agreement that was just reached.
1: Specifically on the coast, we think that this is going to be a huge economic boost to our cities on the coast. And uh, they've done a tremendous job since Katrina of investing in themselves and investing in their downtowns and creating communities that are attractive and people want to live there. And the one thing that's missing is a connectivity and a connectivity to the two major cities on the central Gulf Coast is New Orleans and Mobile. And, and opening up what the Mississippi Coast has to offer, like the aquarium, like the beaches, casinos, the restaurants, and the nightlife, all the different things that are offered there, the lifestyle, which is tremendous, to the people in those cities and bringing people there. And, uh, and what we found when we were studying this is that 750,000 foreign tourists come to New Orleans every year. And for the most part, Mississippi is not able to compete for that business. And we believe that giving people like that an opportunity to come see us will give us the opportunity to be able to compete for that business and will make a tremendous difference to uh, our our uh, fellow citizens on the coast.
0: Knox Ross, Mississippi Rail Commissioner, Chair of the Commission. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. Coming up, a recent report reveals when it comes to lung cancer, Mississippians have a lower survival rate, are less likely to be diagnosed early, and more likely to receive no treatment. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support.
1: Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi ranks among the worst states for new cases of lung cancer, That's according to a study done by the American Lung Association. The 2022 State of Lung Cancer Report reveals Mississippi ranks 47th in the nation. This is the fifth year they've done the study. One key finding shows nationally lung cancer five-year survival rate here is now twenty five percent. No, that's nationally, it's twenty five percent. But in Mississippi, the rate is below the national average at twenty point four percent. Mike Selback is with the American Lung Association and he tells our Lacey Alexander the racial and economic makeup of the state contributes to its low ranking.
2: We know that lung cancer screening is is key to receiving an early diagnosis for lung cancer. And when, when lung cancer is diagnosed early, the prognosis improves drastically. And we want to see uh, many more people, uh, living longer, healthier lives, uh, with, if they have to face lung cancer, that they're facing, you know, longer, healthier lives with it.
3: With Mississippi and with other states that ranked pretty low on this list, were there any similarities um, in these states? Were they in a specific region? Did they have certain environmental um, things that may have contributed? Was there any kind of geographic that related all of the lower states together?
2: The most important thing for everyone to realize is if you have lungs, you're at risk for lung cancer. So, you know, everyone has some level of risk. But what we did see is that in locations where uh, there are higher tobacco use rates, where there are higher levels of radon, or, you know, those are the the two biggest factors that we saw higher cases of lung cancer. Of course, we know that those are the two biggest risk factors, Um, but that's not all of what our report looks at. We also look at screening, as I mentioned. We look at what treatments people get after receiving a diagnosis uh, and sort of some of the coverage issues. So we know that it's important that once somebody is diagnosed with lung cancer, uh, if it's found early enough, you can have surgery, which uh, usually is less of an invasive treatment than chemotherapy. Uh, we also know that now with biomarker testing, uh, there are many different treatments uh, that are available. The first step in that is to being diagnosed early. So we want to make sure that people understand if you're between the ages of 50 and 80 years old and you have what's considered a 20, pack history for smoking. What that means is, did you pack smoke a pack a day for 20 years or two packs a day for 10 years? Um, and you're either currently still smoking or you've quit within the last 15 years. Uh, you might be eligible for lung cancer screenings.
3: And can you give me um, any kind of warning signs that maybe lung cancer may be present? Like what are some very early symptoms that people should look out for? You know, that's The hardest thing about lung cancer is by the time you present symptoms
2: you're probably in a third or fourth stage uh, diagnosis. And so what we're trying to say is we don't want to wait for those symptoms to appear. If you are something that usually can be the difference between diagnosis in stage one or two versus uh, stage three or four. When you present symptoms such as a nagging cough that, you know, sort of just won't go away, or you have, you know, strange pains in your back or side, those are, after the fact, after you've been diagnosed with lung cancer, sometimes those connections are made. But it's because at that point, the tumor has grown to a level where it's uh, causing those effects. Often, those that are diagnosed in stage one or two, there's no symptoms, uh, and that means that it's it's much more treatable.
3: And in collecting this data, did they see anything specific or unique to Mississippi, any trends that um, stood out when studying the state specifically that you can speak on? In Mississippi, we saw that Black Americans
2: are least likely to receive surgical treatment. And... Unfortunately, that's something that we saw in several other states as well. And there are many reasons for that, um, some of which are linked to just having less access to uh, high quality and affordable health care. There's also cultural differences and stigma with lung cancer that might prevent uh, certain populations from receiving that surgical treatment early.
3: You spoke about really concerning numbers for black Americans specifically. Speaking of that, does lung cancer affect a certain race or gender more than the other, or does lung cancer kind of not discriminate in who it goes to? Is it more of a situational thing? Is it hereditary? The data tracks in a lot
2: of ways because tobacco use is the most common risk factor. So a lot of what we see with lung cancer links to smoking rates Uh, and where smoking rates used to be higher, much higher in men, uh, you know, back in the fifties and sixties, the, there was a lag obviously in diagnosis, but lung cancer sort of trended that way as women began to smoke more. We saw more uh, women presenting lung cancer we're also you know, continuing to see cases of, of people that have never smoked before, um, and that's sort of across all genders. Uh, and you know, one, of the, one of the reasons for that is, is radon. Our report points out that about over 5% of homes in Mississippi are above the recommended level by the EPA for radon. So radon is a odorless, invisible gas, which is released from the ground. There's no way to know that your house has high levels of radon without testing it.
0: Coming up, the holiday shopping season is in full gear. Millions of people have made purchases over the long weekend. But what does this mean for small businesses in our state after a tough past year in sales? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. This weekend's Black Friday shopping holiday has seen a boost in sales for many retailers, with people already setting records, according to the National Retail Federation. Some 166 million were expected to make purchases over the weekend. Today, that holiday shopping spree is expected to continue going strong online. For Cyber Monday. We talk with Dawn McVeigh. She's with the National Federation of Independent Businesses, and we ask her about what small business owners are expecting this holiday season.
4: I think all retailers are looking forward to a uh, busy and, you know, profitable fourth quarter and holiday season, but the online big box retailers have certainly started their sales Early ahead of things, probably you know we started seeing them early in uh, October. It felt like around Halloween. So I think there's a lot of retailers that are out there looking to start to capture consumers, get them in, um, get them purchasing early, and and and, uh, and try to get those sales.
0: What about small businesses that you deal with that you represent? How are they doing this holiday season? I know we're still early into it. Yeah. What we do
4: know is um about 13% of our members reported not having a great feeling about the outlook for it. So that's a little bit lower, uh, a little higher um, percentage of not feeling great about things than we'd like to see. But we certainly understand why, you know, they've been fighting inflation, supply chain, worker shortage, you know, everything under the sun uh this year. And so it's kind of, um it's kind of been a, a battle. And so, What we can only do right now is hope for the best uh, for them and really just promote and and remind folks to get out and support their small businesses this this, uh, holiday season.
0: Is it more difficult for small businesses to have sales?
4: Yeah, you know, it depends. You know, what small business owners really try to offer is a unique experience. They focus a lot on customer service. They focus a lot on, uh, you know, unique items, especially in the retail shops. But then the other part of that is, you know, you have retailers, you have restaurants, you know, small restaurants who a lot of times will partner, and you know, a lot of a lot of times on Small Business Saturday, you'll see some co-marketing where people are working together to try to get folks into their restaurants and their um, and their retail shops. But you know, across the board, you know, you have uh, the small farmers who are looking to to hope that they get uh, get a chance to sell, you know, their goods to folks at different, mar- you know, at the farmer's markets and that kind of thing. And so it's important. Um, they have a lot of outlets. They're using that in person. And then, of course, since COVID uh, shut everything down and everybody had to start getting online, whether they liked it or not, you know, a lot of small retailers now have more of a presence on Facebook and Instagram. They're, uh, you're able to shop their shops online right there. And so a lot have put a lot of effort and time and money into setting those up, and so you see a lot of uh, a lot of mom and pop retailers starting to offer offer sales online as well ahead of the holidays, and so they're they're trying to get in the mix as as much as they can, to the extent that they can, and uh, it's really positive. They have all of those outlets, and so we just said want to encourage folks to get out there and and look at their small retailer before they go to the big box.
0: One thing we have been hearing uh, reports about is too much inventory. And I guess that is for a lot of the big box stores. They have too much supply. And so they're now, having sales. Is yeah. that an issue for small businesses too?
4: We we haven't heard that for our small businesses. They have been, you know, inventory can sink a small business. And so uh, they have been, since last year, really watching how much inventory they are purchasing for their store really, you know, in a lot of cases, they've had to adjust that inventory because they, because the supply chains issues weren't able to get exactly what they wanted in. But, uh, inventory is a delicate balance for a small, a small business. And they, with, if they're stocking up on inventory, then that must mean that the, mar- the, the consumer market is very busy and very, very good. But we haven't been seeing that. And so, uh, I think that tells us that they're still being cautious about that because they don't want to get stuck with a lot of inventory that they've paid for at the end of the year and have that on their books.
0: How did small businesses do last year?
4: Really well. You know, that's the thing that we are one of the reasons why we're so hopeful for this year, both in 2020 and 2021, uh, you know, nationwide, it was billions in sales at small businesses on, on Small Business Saturday. And that was in spite of the pandemic uh, going on, you know, in in the peak of it back in 2020 and 2021. So we're really hopeful um, that in those years, seeing those type of numbers as a consistent increase in sales across the board, that we'll be able to see that again this year in 2022.
0: All right. Well, Dawn McVeigh with the National Federation of Independent Businesses for Louisiana and Mississippi, we appreciate your time in speaking with us. Thank you so much, and everyone has a happy holiday. All right, this has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.